Blog Talk Radio. Hello. 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 I am, uh, I'm in radio silence here. I am not uh, not hearing anything. What's going on? Hello? Hello. All right, Chris, can you hear me now, sir? I can hear you now. All right, we had to go back to the phone. Thank you, Mr. Raw Talk Radio. Well, I, I, I wish you a good day. I know it's tough talking hockey uh, after your beloved Isles fell so to the bunch of stress, but uh, we're going to get through it like we got through the Vegas Golden Knights thing. We'll do it together. And um, yeah, good day to you. Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll you know we'll 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 pre- we'll, we'll press on. It, it, it was a great year. We'll get it. I'll give a quick thought sometime during the show. But uh, let's start off with the Vegas Golden Knights. The off season has been underway for a week or so now, and you know changes are in store. That's for sure. Um, per cap friendly. Uh, they got seven. Believe it or not, they already have 17 players under contract for next year. Uh, George McPhee's been a busy boy uh, locking up people to extensions. 17 players at 79 and a half million. So give or take, the the Knights have about three three and a half million to get to the 23 man roster. They have a number of restricted free agents and unrestricted. Uh, you know, William Carlson headlining the restricted free agents along with Thomas Nosek, uh, along with Nikita Gusev and Malcolm Subban. And then the unrestricted, you have Belmar, Cleary, Carpenter, and, and Anglin. So uh, that's a tight squeeze. Um, uh, that's going to be a tight squeeze for 
uh, getting those last six spots in that slot. In fact, it's, it's impossible. So money will have to be uh, have to be moved, uh, to say the least. So we've already heard names like Cody Eakin, maybe even a Colin Miller. Um, the, the Knights are probably they're not going to be able to re-sign everyone they probably would like. And then on top of that, they're going to have to clear about seven or eight million, roughly, in cap in cap space. Because um, William Carlson alone, uh, it, it, you know, made five point two five last year, so he's going to get he has to get at least that, and he'll get a raise on that. He's also uh, arbitration eligible, and he's only one year away from unrestricted free agency. So. You know, that's going to be the big thing is getting him signed to a long-term extension. And, uh, you know, with that, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, Carlson had a good year this year. Not a great year, a good year. Played all 82 games, 24 goals, 56 points. Last year he had a great year. So scoring 43 goals and 78 points. So, is he more of a player this year versus last year? I'm sure him and his agent, and rightfully so, are going to want to get kind of get paid part of that salary based on what he did last year. Um, so that's going to be the first interesting thing to follow of what, you know, what is his number both in terms of annual salary and in terms of years. Uh, he's Like I said, he's only 26. Uh, so that's that's a good thing. So if you give someone a long-term contract at 26, you're talking about into their early 30s. So how do you uh, how do you see the William Carlson thing, uh, Mark? Well, um, I mean, in a perfect world, uh, maybe Carlson goes for a one-year, $6.5 million deal, or gets awarded that through arbitration <laughs> with a handshake agreement that next year. Um, there, there's going to be more cap flexibility with um, Clarkson's money coming off the books. That at that point you can then sign him to his to his max deal. And if it comes to arbitration, that's you get a one-year deal. So uh, that may be just mathematically the only way to take care of William Carlson. You, don't forget uh, Jimmy Schultz, the defenseman out of St. Cloud State, signed uh, uh, and burned a year of his entry-level contract, much the same way right. Nikita Gusev did. And you don't do that unless you plan on getting that guy in the fold. He, he didn't play in, uh, in the playoffs at all, much like Nikita Gusev. So you have two two players that are pretty much in the, the same situation as Schultz and Gusev, but uh, – you you probably have to put Clarkson on long-term injury reserve, and that will give you some of some cap relief off of the $5.25 million hit that he gets. Uh, I, I tried to look up the math on how much actual relief it is, and I didn't get anywhere with that. I don't know if you did, but there yeah, is, I don't know if you yeah. I don't know if you can because you everyone you can't put on you. My, my understanding is you cannot put anyone on long-term injured reserve until after you submit your roster. And so that means basically even with guys like Clarkson, you have to be cap compliant before the start of the season. And then once the season starts, then you can move them to long-term injury reserve and, you know, it'll give you a little flexibility. So obviously that if there's any way to try to shave that number down, be it trade, buyout, uh, you know, now we're getting really into the, the, the layers of the, uh, of the you know we have in terms of capologists I think that, I think that's right. a, that's a tough that's a tough go and then on top of it Clarkson as we mentioned before has a no move clause so uh, I would put that on to the side until we start reading something I haven't read anything about oh you know what the Knights are going to do this with Clarkson and it's going to free up X amount of dollars what I read about but the Knights and their camp is they know they have to move players. Like I said, I've read a couple, uh, you know, reports. Cody Eakin has one year to go at 3.85, and I don't think they're going to be able to re-sign him based on their current cap, not that they don't want to, uh, I, I, and especially if he has another year next year like this year. So maybe they want to cash in, if you will, some future assets 
that they've traded away the last 12, 18 months. And same thing with Colin Miller, you know, those kind of, uh, and, and maybe with a couple of these other, other guys, um, uh, you know, it's interesting to me, you mentioned Paulson on a one-year deal. I, I want, I mean, I, I wonder if, if the number is six and a half and that they put a seven-year deal on the table for him, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of guaranteed money. Uh, I would think that would be the, the neighborhood somewhere between six, six and a half is where they probably would like to get him. I mean, obviously you run the red, you know, if, you know, if, if he, if you go a one-year deal with him, um, you run the risk and he runs the risk, right? I mean, if you run, if he puts up a year like he did last year where he had 43 goals, well, now you're talking about, you know, a guy who probably on the open market can get nine, ten million. Uh, or if you wind up, uh, if you wind up doing what he did this year, uh, you know, you're probably looking at around a, that $6 million number or so. So, um, to me, that will be the first interesting thing to follow. But a lot of these other guys who have been great role players for them, I mean, at best, I can see maybe maybe squeezing in, getting one of them back in terms of Belmore, Prairie, Carpenter, and England. You know, I think it's going to be tough. Yeah, I think I think well, obviously the roster is going to look different next year. And then you also have um, – Cody Glass, who has to, at some point, fit into the equation of, of playing center for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, if, if I had a crystal ball and, and a wish list and one in each hand, um, you got to do your best to bring Belmar back, I think. Um, he, he's great in the face-off circle. He's physical. He blocks shots. Um, he's a pay-the-price kind of player. And for that fourth line to be effective, it's, I don't believe it's as effective with no sec playing center. Um, so if, if you're going to apples and orange it, no sec um, could be gone and Belmar could stay. You you work either the seven years at, or eight years at six and a half for Carlson or work into a one-year deal. So then let's trade Carpenter off. If you sign Gusev to a entry-level contract, which is interesting what that player's uh, ask is going to be, um, being a superstar in the KHL to coming in on an entry-level deal with Vegas, you're not going to make the same money, and, uh, and him and his agent probably will want to be close to that, but it's not feasible for someone who hasn't played in the NHL yet. But you don't sign Gusev and burn that first entry-level contract year Unless you, you're planning on him playing and slotting at third line, third line left wing, um, so you have to do that. England's indicated that he wants to come back, but with Schultz needing a contract, maybe that England money goes to Jimmy Schultz, and then you have Carlson, Gusev, Schultz, and Belmar, and you're still having trouble getting those four. Yeah, players I mean, signed. yeah, like I, that, like that, I said, current, that, currently. That, Based on projections, the capsules is four between eighty two and eighty three. So currently you're talking about they have at at most three and a half million in camp space. Just re signing up William Carlson's gonna put them over, not to mention all these other guys. And then you're gonna to have to sign Malcolm Supan as well. Not that he's gonna break the bank, but you know, all these numbers add up. So then, you know, you're gonna to have to get, get under that number. So like I said, I, I, I think they're going to have to not bring everyone back that they would like. And so, you know, I think you made a good point. If they want to keep Belmore, then even though he's an unrestricted free agent and no six is restricted, maybe they keep Belmore and they trade no six to uh, get some draft picks or, you know, improve the pipeline. You know, Carpenter is probably at 28 years of age. You saw some of those third-line guys last year on July one get contracts for three for nine, four for 12, um, right. given his age, given his age and how good of a, you know, bottom six player he was, you know, he's probably going to get uh, a contract that annually somewhere between two and a half to 3 million. I, I just don't see how the Knights could to make, make that work. England is a guy who at 37, you know, Mike, you know, looking at probably a one year, you know, this past year he, he played on a one-year, one and a half. 
So, but with the, with the number of defensemen they have, maybe that's uh, depends upon if they they move someone else. You know, they if they can move a Holden or if you know if they move Colin Miller, which I was a little surprised to read, but you know the reality is if they you know they're going to have to clear about seven, eight, nine million, if you will. You know, it's going to have to come from somewhere. You know, and they're going to have to move players that they really like. I mean, let's be honest. We said, we, we, we've kind of talked about, and we talked about previously, about Cody Eakin, and that there's a good chance he'll be getting moved. I mean, in, in the perfect world, you wouldn't even think about moving him. You know, keep him for the one no. year, see where you're at a year from now. But the reality is, you know, uh, they're going to have to, they, they're going to have to move somebody. And, and a lot of the other guys were not mentioning on the roster. There's no way they're going to move them, you know. So, unless you're talking about, could you know, Yeah, but I think his number is only 2.75, so uh, which is something. Um, You know, the guy that jumps out to me because it's kind of a bigger number uh, would be, you know, would they consider moving a Riley Smith? Uh, You know, again, the problem here is you're playing a numbers game. You know, you need to get under the numbers. So, um, you know, look. But having said all that. You know, when George McPhee, between the beginning of the year and during the year and then trading for Mark Stone and signing to him as extension, he knew, you know, the the numbers. He knew the cash yeah. numbers. So he, he, I'm sure once he signed Mark Stone, he said, well, this is what we're going to have to do. He's got a plan A in place. He's got a plan B in place. But there are going to be some changes and a couple of guys that, uh, you know, have been good Vegas Golden Knights these first couple of years it's going to probably be somewhere else next season. Yeah, I'd say. Well, Kelly McCrimmon sure picked a, a a nice year to start off his tenure as the Vegas Golden Knights general manager. And with George McPhee stepping upstairs, it's kind of news that we didn't break it. Not breaking news, obviously, but – didn't get into at the at the top of the piece here on the Golden Knights is that uh, Bill Foley has elevated George McPhee to director of hockey operations and promoted Kelly McCrimmon to the general manager position. Sorry, Edmonton. Sorry, Seattle. But uh, there's no Kelly wow. McCrimmon for you. Um, so a lot of obviously George McPhee is going to be in uh, in the office with. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon, but and and they work together. Obviously, there's conversations, um, but it, as far as trying to get under under the cap and keeping this team as much intact as possible, um, it, it's going to be a, t- a two man job between the new president of hockey ops and the new general manager Kelly McCrimmon. Um, yeah, I just I, wonder. I wonder what situations like that is. What happens if just like what happens if one guy says we should do this and trade Eakin, and the other guy says no, no, we need to keep Eakin and do this instead? <laughs> uh, you know, who? How does that? How does that work? Uh, they draw straws. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I was the president of hockey operations. Um, would appear to be someone who would approve or or deny any deal proposed right. by the general manager. Um, I, I think that's a title thing in that Kelly McCrimmon wanted the title. Remember we were talking last week, um, and, and I asked what Edmonton could offer Kelly McCrimmon that Vegas can't, and his answer was uh, the title. So right. now, Kelly McCrimmon has that title. I'm sure he got a nice raise in salary to go with it, and I'm sure George right. McPhee got bumped up to a, a pretty penny to get to the president of hockey ops. But I, you know, from the start, this front office has been a a a group. Uh, everybody, everybody's voice. You know, they were built on the, the everybody's voice counts, um, and George had the final say. And I would think that that's kind of still the way it's going to be operated. So. Okay. I think I think we're going to know more about the Vegas Golden Knights uh, the day after the draft because that's usually, you know, obviously there's a lot of moves 
um, a lot of a lot well, of lead, the week leading into it at, at least in but but sometimes draft day deals come about um, two pitch before uh, Matthew Barsal uh, before the, the the guy's taken you know what I mean so if they can get a a, a, a prospect and a nice pick for Eakin um, making room for Haller to play third line center and. You know, there, there's going to have to be moves made. Riley Smith, uh, when you said that, I'm sure Golden Knights Nation let out a collective gasp. Hearing that, hearing no, I'm like just, that. look, I think you have to, you have to, you know, there's certain guys yeah, who are not going Florida. to trade. Yeah, yeah I, I think Florida. you just, I think you have to just put it out. I, th- I don't think that will happen, but I think it's something you need to think about. Um, you know, because there's three or four, maybe five different ways they can go with this. So, you know, um, it, it, it would not be total blasphemy or totally uh, an unexpected move if they went down that way based on where they're at. I'm not saying they're going to, but I'm sure when they're, you know, I hate the phrase wargaming it, but when they're war, I can't think of anything else. When they're looking at the different scenarios, I'm sure that's one White scenario. That, what's that? When they're on the white, when they're on the whiteboard. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm sure that's. That's probably one of the scenarios they have to think about, and because and again, they're going to have to, uh, you know, look at, look at getting the number under, and also too what they could get for that player. The only problem is when you're trading players with the cap, is and I mentioned this before, is if you're at you know let's say O'Reilly Smith, well let's trade him for X. Unless you're talking about getting assets that are future assets that are not going to hit your cap. Even if you get back a player making one and a half, one point seven five, you're you're only cl- you're not clearing that whole five and a quarter. You're clearing that person's salary less the right. person you bring in. So, so you know it, it, it's not easy. It's kind of a struggle to get to that you know clearing eight million. Believe it or not, clearing eight million dollars or lowering your cap by eight million dollars is not an easy task. No sir, no sir. There you will. Well, it's definitely something we're going to keep abreast on. But for now, let's bring in Gabriel Foley, the St. Louis Blues contributor in the last word on Puck. Gabriel, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, tough game last night. I, uh, I'll start off with full disclosure. I picked the St. Louis Blues to be my dark horse in the Western Conference, considering they have been playing playoff hockey basically since January. Um, they're the team going in one of the hot, one of the hottest teams in the second half of the season. Um, for about two hours on the last day of the season, they were the first place St. Louis Blues. Um, so, in effect, uh, and I, and I did pick them in their first round series as well. Um, take me through just the last couple months of the season. Jordan Bennington, obviously being being a big part of what turned the season around for the St. Louis Blues and, and how they got through the first round series before we touch on where they are right now. Well, over the last few months, um, we saw Craig Berube, the interim head coach, finally establish what he wanted these players to play like and what he wanted to wanted them to think like, which was a much more physical and a much more confident style of play. Um, and then, as you mentioned, bringing in um, Jordan Bennington and having him set, you know, NHL records with his first few NHL games um, definitely helped bolster that confidence that these players were starting to feel. And it was that confident, physical, and fast style play that ultimately uh, helped them top the Winnipeg Jets in that first series. I mean, every game was a hard-hitting and a fast game, Um, but the Blues had a more well-rounded roster. They had a bigger group of guys playing that style of play, and that's what helped them get to the second round. So so then then there there unexpectedly, uh, again, looming on the horizon was Dallas. Um, and I, and I did pick them against Dallas uh, last night. They go down in the series three games to two. This team has been a better road team uh, throughout the course of the season. Are we in St. Louis Blues Nation confident 
uh, seeing a game seven based on based on going on the road and bringing it back? It's all up in the air right now. Um, the Blues need more production from their stars. You know, these last two games have been all Robert Thomas and all Jordan Bennington. Um, and to be relying on your two rookies to carry the load, you know, that's not a formula for success when your goal is to win a Stanley Cup. Um, so I think there's a potential for a game seven for sure, but Blues fans aren't, you know, buying tickets for game seven right now or anything. Um, it's all up in the air. We want to wait and see what guys like Ryan O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Jane Schwartz, what they can do and what they can bring to the table um, before we, you know, give them our, give them our complete confidence. Well, you bring up a good point, And that was my, going to be my next question before I throw you over to Chris. Um, we need, in order to get to that game seven, uh, we have Jaden Schwartz, who's leading the, the playoff blues with seven goals after netting just 11 in the entire regular season. And you had Ryan O'Reilly, who had a fantastic regular season with two goals in the playoffs so far, and, and with Tarasenko as well. What what does Coach Berube need to do to get a spark out of O'Reilly? Braden Shin, I'd like, he's been playing, he played a great physical game last night, but I'd like to see more scoring out of him. Um, Tarasenko as well is is are we going to be seeing maybe a, a change up in the lines coming in Game Six or or do you think Baruby just rolls it as it is and then how how can he get uh, O'Reilly and and Tarasenko freed up and back on the scoreboard? Um, there was a big feeling throughout Blue Station that uh, Baruby would shake the lines up for the third period of Game Five. The Blues went into that period down to nothing and were not looking good. Um, so there was a big feeling that he would shape, shake up the lines then, and he did it, uh, which was very weird. Um, so he's showing a lot of faith in this lineup. Um, and I think he's just going to continue showing that faith. Um, I think not much is going to change. We'll probably see more ice time for players like Thomas and Sunquist, the younger players that have been playing good, but um, it's it's a hard road for the Blues right now. Um, there's a very big rumor that Ryan O'Reilly is actually playing hurt. Um, he's looked very sluggish in his last few games. He's been abysmal on the faceoff dot. Um, and there's a slight rumor about Braden Shen as well. Uh, he's picked up his physical play over the course of the playoffs, um, so he might have got battered a bit. Uh, while doing that. So it's a hard pass because if they are playing hurt, um, it's obviously going to be hard to maximize their production. Um, sure. But if they aren't, then then you start looking at a lineup mix-up or something, and it's, it's an awkward spot for the Blues to be in for sure. Um, and I, I honestly don't know what they could do to address it. Hey, Gabriel, Chris here. So great to have you back on the show. Uh, got a couple of quickies. I got two questions for you, and then I'll let Mark finish up with one last one for you. And let's start with, from afar, it, like a lot of these series, it seems like the difference in the series has really been uh, a matter of an inch, inches, as they say. Uh, from your perspective, what has Dallas done to up to this point to put them up 3-2? as opposed to St. Louis being down 3-2. Now, from, we know what St. Louis is in terms of lack of uh, lack of scoring, if you will, but what has Dallas done so well uh, to be up 3-2 at this point? Um, it's a lot of different things, but the biggest factor is Dallas has the best goalie in the league right now. Um, ben Bishop stood on his head all season long, and he came off to a slow start in the playoffs, um, definitely at the beginning of this series. But last night, the Blues had 39 shots and only one went in. Um, Bishop was incredible last night. He was making saves that, you know, you didn't even know were possible. Um, and kind of like the Blues saw with Bennington during the regular season, when your goalie's playing so great, um, everyone in front of him is going to play better. And 
I think that's been the case with Dallas. Um, their defense has definitely been more productive. Their defense has been better getting out of the zone and starting plays and such. Um, and it's little things like that, a great goalie, a more productive defense that in the end will result in more goals. Yeah, and Esther Lindell has really had a top-notch series. Been really impressed with him on the Dallas blue line, and he's uh, and uh, Montgomery has definitely rewarded him with the minutes uh, based on that play. Wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, I completely agree. He and Klingberg both have been embarrassing the Blues over the first five games, um, and they definitely deserve the recognition here. So I got one more for you before I let Mark finish up with you, and that is Craig Berube is the finalist for the Jack Adams. Obviously, he's got the interim tag. I mean, it, it's got to be a foregone conclusion whenever the se- se- season ends for the Blues, be it if it winds up ending in this round, the next round, or even getting to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, and you got to one would have to figure that he's going to get uh, he's going to get an extension here, wouldn't you say? Oh, there's no doubt that. Uh, Berube's going to get an extension. Um, the feeling is that Doug Armstrong has met with him and said, if you want the job, it's yours. Um, the only reason he hasn't had an extension yet was because um, Craig Berube's an old-style coach. Um, during the season and especially during the playoffs, all he wants to focus on is you know, the game at hand and what needs to be done. So he's actually put off any sort of contract talks until the season is over. Um, But yes, the sense is that if he wants the job and the sense is he does want the job, um, he will be getting it and he will be getting a hefty extension this, this off season. All right. We're talking with Gabriel Foley at NHL Foley on Twitter. He's the famous Blues contributor for the last word on puck. And if I have this right, the same was Blues insider. Um, so, going back to the start of the season and where St. Louis was projected, and then after the start of the season, um, where they actually were and how far this comes, is I, I got to imagine St. Louis Blues Nation is pretty pleased to get in, into the playoffs, first of all. And they found, they found the goalie, and, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, if he had two goals, he had ten. And the Jacob on the saga is finally over in St. Louis. Um, and that's that, that's a good thing going forward, I think. I think there was a lot of indecision through the years on, on which pieces of the front office and, and coaching staffs uh, through the regimes who wanted who to be the number one eventually. And, and, and now, I, I, I mean, it's pretty obvious Bennington's going to have that job for the foreseeable future. Um the the Vingos Blues fan base and the organization I would think has to look at this as, as a great as a great season considering where they came from and where they where they may finish uh as early as tomorrow night I believe. And going into the off season there's a lot different feeling around the group than say in December. Uh you agree or disagree with that? I agree. Um, I think, you know, with my feelings towards the team, I am proud. We have seen um, a lot of positives, a lot of breakout seasons from guys like Bennington, um, Sunquist, you know. Um, so there were definitely a lot of positives. But at the beginning of the year, um, I sat down and looked at our lineup and I said, this is a playoff team. This is a Stanley Cup winning team. Um, so I think, well, yes, there have been a lot of positives. Um, the, the Blues done a great job rebounding from being in last place in the league uh, to start January to where they are now. But um, there will always be that sense of disappointment uh, that we didn't go farther, uh, especially with the Blues fan base, never winning a cup and always kind of having disappointing playoff runs. Um, you know, we're not happy until we reach the top. So while, yes, there is that sense of pride, there's also um, that sense of wanting more. 
Yeah. Hey, as a Vegas Golden Knights fan, you're, you're not taught telling me anything about a sense of wanting more the way that series ended up. Um, but, you know, I thank you for coming in today, and uh, we'll definitely have you back on the show. We appreciate talking to you, as always, um, and, and thanks for your time. Yeah, I always love being on. Have a good one, guys. All right. You thanks, too. Gabriel. Well, all right, Chris, this is my dark horse, the St. Louis Blues, and they are in it longer than either one of uh, our, our respective teams. Uh, teams notwithstanding, obviously. Um, so I, I, I have been paying attention to this series. Um, I got to admit, last night going into the third, it was 2 nothing. I thought uh, the way Dallas, or Dallas, St. Louis, um, yeah, they really need. Uh, came back quite a few times against against Winnipeg. Um, I thought St. Louis had them right where they wanted, and then Schwartz scored uh, in the third period. Okay, no problem. St. Louis, St. Louis got this, and they weren't able to have a good Yeah, they really need um, Tarasenko to uh, to step up, Tarasenko given all the givens that we just uh, given all the givens that we just. Uh, talked about the guy's world class talent and they really need him to step up given given the different injuries and and really even for during the regular season when they had you know even during the stretch from January first on where they played great, you know, they were really relying on the top two, three guys like Ryan O'Reilly and such in terms of scoring. So that's been a bugaboo in terms of depth of scoring yeah, sure. even even during their winning time. So yeah, I, I like I said that series is far from over. But Bishop, uh, one thing I will say about Game Six in Dallas, and Dallas, remember, we're able to knock out Nashville in the same situation in Round One. Is I think St. Louis needs to play either from even or in front. Don't let Dallas get a lead in that building with Ben Bishop and get a chance to to smell that finish line. But uh, wanted to make a couple quick points on the Sharks and Bruins and get your feedback on on them. I had a thought on each. And that is on the Bruins side. Is it? I mean, in one breath during these playoffs, whenever Boston's been a couple tough spots where they had to have the game, and they came forth in that game with an A plus performance. Both we saw it in the Toronto series, we saw it the other night in Game Four in Columbus, no less. So part of me is like, wow, that's that's a that's a that's a championship kind of mentality. But then the other part of me is like, well, why are they so up and down in games in these in these playoffs against both Toronto and Columbus? Why does it take to that point? I mean, sooner or later, if you're if that's what it takes, that, that's going to come back to bite you. I know, I know you can't have an A plus game every game, but that so that, that I don't know if you feel that way. That's that's my Boston point. Uh, so that's a kind of a pro and a con about it. And from a San Jose perspective, and I was talking to with Dan Harrigan yesterday about this, a, friend, a good friend of the show, and I'm not saying San Jose is the best team left standing either in the of all the playoff teams or even in the West. But given where they are, this organization is at, with the core of their team, with the, with the age of their core of their team, and I'm not talking about Joe Thornton, who's 39, 40 years old, who's, you know, a good role player for them, if you will, or a secondary player. I'm talking about the Brett Burns of the world, those kind of guys. Their window is now. And while I'm not saying that they're better than any of these other teams, they have, in my opinion, an equal chance to to win, to beat Colorado. They have at least an equal chance they beat Colorado to beat Dallas or St. Louis. And they're, to me, you know, they remind me of the Rangers a few years ago when they played your Kings in the Stanley Cup Finals and lost. And then the following year, they played. They got to the Eastern Conference Finals, Game 7 at home against Tampa and lost. And, since, and, and then after that, which we didn't know at the time, the window closed, and now they're rebuilding. I kind of feel like that's where San Jose is right now. And they, if they don't make it through, uh, it, it's going to be a number of years before – they get another opportunity to do that. I was just curious of your two point, my your thoughts on those two points about the Bruins and the Sharks. 
Well, as far as, far as the Bruins go, I think you got to give credit to showing respectively. Although you're not going to the playoffs, even if you're the best team in the playoffs, the best team in the playoffs, you have to get some to get swept, as we've seen uh, earlier in this year. So, I, one thing that's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of credit for putting Boston in that situation, and I give Boston a lot of credit for answering the bell. I don't think that it's a situation where Boston isn't coming out giving any effort. I think that it's the case that in, in, in the games Columbus won, they were the better team that night. And vice versa with Boston, I think it's two pretty evenly matched teams. Um, I think Columbus is getting timely scoring when they need it in in the games that they're winning and vice versa with Boston. We saw a lot of frustration, I guess, out of Marshawn and a couple other players on Boston um, <clears throat> because they weren't being able to finish. Um, Bobrovsky's made some un- unbelievable saves on, <clears throat> um, on, on Boston to – keep them off the scoreboard is as Columbus is getting timely scoring. They're also getting great timely saves um, Mm -hmm. on what could be sure goals um, and plays that the Bruins are used to seeing the puck in the back of the net. Uh, Bobrovsky's keeping them out. And uh, so I, I, in that situation, I give a lot of credit to Columbus for um, just their compete level, their, their physicality, their timely scoring and and Bobrovsky's probably playing some of the best hockey of his career. Um, I don't really have any thoughts on the Sharks. <laughs> uh, I, I I I agree with you that that you know we saw this a couple of years ago with Anaheim too, uh, where and look where they're at. And it, yeah, exactly where I was going. They they had their window. Uh, the Perry Getzloff, Kessler. Um, and you know the, the other players that have been around Anaheim for a while, but that that being the core, um, they were two minutes away from going to the Stanley Cup final, and Jonathan Tate <laughs> scored scored from the goal line in the corner, and uh, scored again to win the game in the last two minutes, um, and I kind of had that same uh, the windows halfway down. As, as with that team, and they they decided on coaching changes and 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 really not doing tinkering with the roster, but no big changes. And then the the injury bug caught them in the last two seasons, and you know now they're basically a lottery team. And I, I could I, I think San Jose has enough young talent, um, Timo Meyer, especially. Uh, it depends on what they're going to do Carlson, but the point's taken that the the core guys are older, and if, let's say, Colorado wins the series, or for whatever reason, they, I, I agree with you that they have an equal chance to beat Dallas or St. Louis in the next round. But if they if they get to another Stanley Cup final and lose to you know whoever comes out of the East, then yeah, I think that window may come all the way down on that this version of the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, so I guess a quick thought on the, the team that uh, that now is on to the conference finals and that series of Carolina. Painfully, good congrats to Carolina. Um, painfully, my Islanders. Uh, you know, I was mentioned before about uh, not game four, but the first three games of that series was really a game of inches. And, you know, the, the Carolina got those, got that extra inch. Um, you know, maybe they, they, you know, got a fortuitous play here or there. And, you know, that's tough, tough cookies. You know, that's that's how it happens. You know, a guy coming out of the box, her, her guy has puck on the stick perfectly oh. timed. You know, yeah. I think the Islanders side, I think they hit like 10 – Posts and crossbars in Game Two, um, but you know it was uh, you know the, uh, you sent me a text and I, I agree with it. The Islanders had a tremendous season. This was a team where 
everyone in the hockey world predicted not only would they not be a playoff team, but they would finish in the bottom five. That the only drama this year for the Islanders would come be come April on the night of the lottery. And so not only were they in a playoff race, they made the playoffs, they finished second in the division, they almost won the division. Uh, then they, they went around, they beat the Penguins, who uh, as the team's won the Cup two of the last three years. And look, I mean, uh, it's never fun to get swept, but Carolina's been on a roll. Like I said, anyone who watched those games know how close they were. And, you know, it's going to be interesting off season for them. They have a lot of cap space. They also have a lot – they have a number of unrestricted free agents. So, you know, Lou and Trotz have built something here. I fully expect Anders Lee that will get done over the next month or so. And, and the other two big key guys to decide is Brock Nelson and Robin Leonard. But uh, they need scoring. I mean, that they they need to, to improve the skill in the scoring while at the same time um, have that person or people fit in to a Lou and Trot style uh, and what what they're building and having someone uh, buy in. And I think I said to you before, big key for the Islanders going to the playoffs was would they score enough? And and I mentioned two statistics, and that is when they scored three goals or more in the regular season, they they, they went 38-2-2. Two and two. Having said that, in, in 21 games of the regular season, which is 25% of the season, they either scored one goal or were shut out, which is a tremendous number. I mean, that is not yeah. usually a number a team that has 103 points has. Uh, so when you look at those two disparities, and in round one against Pittsburgh, they scored three goals, at least three goals in each game. They swept, and in round two, they scored zero, one, two, and two. So uh, really kind of – yeah, and what's what? And so you go. really kind of – so you kind of felt, felt that DNA, uh, if you will. But, um, yeah, so like I said, good days are ahead for them, and they have the right people leading them. And I tell you what, Carolina's going to – I mean, they've been swarming. They've, the, 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 they're on top of people. They're getting timely scoring. Um, the only negative I can say is they've been on such a roll, though they had such a long series with Washington, they're going to have to deal with what the Islanders have to deal with after round one, and they're going to have an extended break. So a uh, team that's playing that well, it's probably not ideal. You probably just want a couple of days off at the most, but that's something that they're going to have to navigate, and I'm sure that will be something we'll talk about whoever if they play Boston or Columbus in the next round. So uh, uh, anyway, you're, a quick thought from you on the Kings and the Isles. Well, let's give the, the Hurricanes all the credit in the world. Um, Justin Williams, old friend, missed a game seven. Does it in uh, Washington? I remember uh, going back and forth to the after game five. I was, I was really uh, liking Carolina Panthers, and they had some injuries at the time. Sveshnikov, uh it just got knocked cold, um, and and you didn't think they had enough, no matter how well they had been playing, to get past Washington and. And the intangibles of, of Justin Williams led the charge, finished off the defending champions. And then, again, we saw his, I don't want to call it magic, but something about Justin Williams in, in big games. Um, we've seen it for years, and, and he continues to have that. And, in, you know, they got such tough backs that um, as, as Justin Williams leads, uh, Carolina follows, and then I also, also uh, McElhaney. I didn't see what happened to Morassic except the fact that he he left lower body, yeah, and, and he played yeah. great too. They both did. And and McElhaney comes in, uh, obviously not expecting to play. And the the Hurricanes don't need to be. In fact, they probably played better in front of McElhaney than they would have in front of Morassic. And and McElhaney out of his mind last night. Um, so, so all of a sudden, well, I don't know where they go from here. Um, it, it's easy to say that, uh, you know, Boston or Columbus would be a favorite against Carolina. But, you know, every, every now and then we see a, a team, and I mean, go back to 2012 with the Kings, they got in the playoffs as an eight seed. And obviously no one expected anything to come from that. And 
they go on to a 16 and four Stanley Cup run, and you know every, every so often we we see a team just put it together at the right time, take that momentum and just ride it. And with every all the teams that we've seen so far this year, get, get, you know Nashville, Winnipeg, Tampa, Toronto, uh, defending champion Washington Capitals, with, with all these teams going out. Um, if Columbus and Boston go seven, there's going to be some attrition there. That is one physical series. Um, if the Cody Eakin cross check was a major, then some of the things I'm seeing in the Boston Columbus series are felonies. Okay, um, so there's going to be some attrition. So I, I, I can't say that Carolina can't ride this. Um, much farther, and I'll say I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to be a, a jinxer, but um, kudos to Carolina, and congratulations to the Islanders, too, because um, my guy was telling you earlier today, so great season for New York. Um, you know, in what, two years, they'll be back up in, in Nassau, Nassau Coliseum, where we saw in the first round the energy and atmosphere there, the Islanders fans, you know, pumps that team up and, and I think brings out another level of play that isn't present present when they're uh, down below, if you will. So, um, and you guys got a lot of talent coming through the pipeline, and I'm sure I'm sure Lamoureux is going to put some pieces together in the off season that keeps the Islanders a contender. So, um, no fear in the in Isles Nation. If we're doing a rising and falling after the playoffs, certainly the Islanders are rising units. Well, let's move on to the OT segment and three quick hits on three teams, big teams that we didn't get a chance last week to um, talk about. We got ousted in round one: Toronto, Nashville, and Calgary. And for me, you know, obviously we talked before about Vegas really, uh, you know having to do with cap issues. Well, the Leafs are the cap issues on steroids. And um, yeah. basically, so basically right now, the Leafs are a team that need more sandpaper, more jam, more grit, whatever you want to say. They need to get stronger on the blue line, and they need to play overall better team defense, uh, you know, really from, from Jump Street. That's not something you just can flip a switch and play 82 games all year and then not follow those disciplines. Now, as we saw with the Islanders and Barry Trotz, that is something you could take one team one year if everyone buys in in terms of doing the little things, reviewing of this is where we've struggled with team defense, puck position. This is what we have to do in these situations. We can still be a super speed, skilled team, but we have to mind our P's and Q's in these kind of situations if you want to take it to the next level. But having said all that, they're in a huge cap crunch. So how do they get better on the blue line, and how do they get more jam, if you will? So that's my that's my Leafs point. The Preds, they need to stay with their DNA, but the same token, they need another skilled guy. They need a they need a finisher, and they need that power play was just uh, just horrible. That can't that has to change if they're going to you know be a team that like a couple of years ago that got to the Stanley Cup Finals. That has to change. If not, they're going to be, you know, a tough out in the playoffs and maybe win a round, and that's going to be that. So that that's their uh, 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 road to pass. And, and finally, Calgary, they need to, you know, they rely, even though as great of a regular season as they had, they really relied on about four or five guys for the majority of their scoring. And then come playoff times, if those guys go quiet, or they're held in check because they're being put uh, against the other team's top checkers, if you will. You know, the, where's that? Where's the scoring going to come from? And then obviously, how do they move forward in terms of goaltending? With Mike Smith being a UFA and being, you know, not that much younger than me and you, and then and you know, if, uh, David Riddich, <laughs> if David Riddich, uh, you know, is you know, obviously he didn't see time in the playoffs. So how do you know? So that. You know, a lot, a lot ahead. Even those, all three of those teams have a lot going for them. They have a lot of work ahead of them if they expect to, you know, be. When I say be better next year, be better in terms of, you know, not, not so much, you know, uh, 
it's not going to be so much in the regular season. Difference not being, you know, maybe Nashville next year doesn't have 98 points. They have 102, which is really not that big of a difference. But come playoff time, these are the kind of things that are the differences between winning in the first round or getting to the conference finals or even getting to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I agree. And, and when Nashville goes up against, I think you said Dallas was the lowest goal against Savage in the league this season, um, they, they didn't have an answer. When Calgary, except Tom, like you said, Kachuk, Goudreau, um, Giordano to a certain extent, who I think probably is, is the Norris Trophy winner this year. Um, I think when when you're talking about wanting to get these things better, you're, you're definitely talking about moving from playoff participant to Stanley Cup contender. And I think out of the three teams you, you bring up, um, Toronto is probably going to have the but, but, I mean, Nashville, they're playoff tested, and it depends on what you want to do with, with Simmons, who's now a UFA. Is he a piece that you think can spark that power play? Um, maybe, you know, a, a, a piece like that, maybe younger, maybe faster. Um is, is is all that Nashville needs. But let's face it, uh, I think the goalie's good enough for another couple of years with a strong run. I think the defense is, is one of the most dynamic in, in the league. I think Calgary, maybe it's just need some seasoning there. If Riddick's going to be your guy, I like that. You know my views on my Smith. Um I think it, it, I think it'll be good for for Calgary not to have him. Um, I think it's addition to subtraction, and, and let's see what Riddick can do after you know a partial season and then some playoffs. Um, let's see him be the number one, and and let's see some of the younger guys. You know they they had their playoff disappointment. Let's see how that team can grow. Um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, a nice addition on a third or fourth line that can play a little bit grittier, but also score some greasy goals. Um, and, and just another year of experience for Calgary. Uh, some of those young guys, maybe their first or second taste of playoff hockey, and, and now they kind of know um, what it takes. So out of those three, I think Calgary is probably maybe has the pieces that just need a little more salt. Um, Nashville might need to add, uh, uh, let's say, a power play specialist or something like that. Um, but I think Toronto has the, the toughest road to become a true cup contender with the division they play in, the teams they're most yeah. likely to face, even if they finish second in the division, third in the division, um, and then what structure that team needs to embrace in order to take that next step. And you've got, let's face it, some of the best young talent in the league, obviously, Matthew Nylander and Marnie. Um, you might have to move Nylander if you're going to spend the kind of money. Oh, they're, they're going to have to They're going to have to do a whole yeah. bunch of things. Yeah. So out of the three, I think maybe Calgary is, is the most likely to become that cup contender shortly. And just based on what's on their roster. And... You know, Toronto, I think, has the the toughest road to hoe to actually become a contender and not just a playoff participant. Absolutely. So, real quick, we got some big shows coming up. We're working on the guests for next week. Hoping to bring back an old friend to the show next week. We got Lyle Richardson of Spectres Hockey going to join us in a couple of weeks or so towards the end of the month of May. We have our big mock draft show on June 15th. Mark Scheig will be. Uh, joining us along with Dan Harrigan uh, and with myself, uh, making the selections with Mark here being master of ceremonies as always. So, got a lot in store coming up. Yep, looking forward to it. And we're out of time for this week. So, for Chris, I'm Mark. We're gone. Mm-hmm.